Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, we are one week in to 2023, also one week into our 21 days of fasting and prayer. And we've got a lot of people, yeah, praise God, a lot of people participating in this year's fasting and prayer. I think we have over 230 people that, that we know of that are participating, which is, is wonderful. And I've asked everyone, if this is your church family, if you are a part and you consider this your church home, if you're between the ages of 15 and 70, I've asked you to participate at some, at some level. And so we've got a lot of people that are doing the full fast, which is great. That's just going the entire 21 days, no food, limiting yourself to water, coffee, tea, maybe some juice. But what we've encouraged everyone to do is to go from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., just take breakfast and lunch, fast, set that time aside. It's not time to get extra work done. It's not time to, you know, uh, it's, it's time to... to to pray, right? It's time to seek the Lord, to worship, to study God's word. And so that's what we're encouraging people to do. Like Pastor Christina said, if you haven't been participating, it's not too late. You can start today, start tomorrow morning, join us in this time of fasting and prayer. Fasting is a discipline that God has given us, not as uh, spiritual feats of strength, not as a way to, to punish ourselves, but it's a blessing that there's things that God wants to accomplish through fasting and prayer that aren't accomplished other ways. And so this is a special, a special season for us as a church family. We're corporately fasting. This shouldn't be the last time that you fast and pray as we go through the year. But fasting has been a neglected discipline, something that hasn't been emphasized, but it's something we're instructed as followers of Jesus that we are to take time to fast and to pray. In fact, last week we started a new series that we're calling When You Fast, and it's taken right from the language of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, that as he's teaching about prayer and he's teaching about giving, he also teaches about fasting. And with each one of them, he uses that kind of language. When you pray, when you give, when you fast, that if you're going to be a follower of him, it, it was, you were under the assumption that these would be things that you are supposed to take time and devote yourself to. And Jesus came, what, why? To establish his kingdom, to establish the new covenant. So when he was here to establish the new covenant, it wouldn't have made any sense for him to take time to teach about things that are now irrelevant because he's establishing the new covenant. It would have been a waste of time. He would have been just adding confusion. I want to take this afternoon and teach you about fasting, but also make a note, this is something we don't have to do anymore. That would have been foolishness. So if Jesus is taking time to teach people about it, and you can look at the early church. The early church took time to fast and pray. And you look at the life of Paul, another example. So fasting is something that we are instructed to do from the word of God, but it is something that is uncomfortable and people don't like to do. Your flesh hates it, so it's been something it's easier just to set aside and not do. But we want to challenge you to grow. This isn't challenging people just for you know, the, the sake of jumping through religious hoops. We, we want you to grow and we want to follow the word of God. I'll give you another example. You can turn over to, to Mark chapter 2 if you have your Bible. Mark chapter 2, we'll start reading in verse 18. It says, Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, 
Why don't you, your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? We'll, we'll read the next couple of verses, but this is the perfect setup for Jesus to let us know where he stands on fasting and if we shouldn't, if we shouldn't engage in this discipline. He said, well, why aren't you guys fasting like the way these other groups fast? This is the perfect chance for Jesus to say, because we don't do that anymore. Because that's a thing of the past. That, that's like old school. We're starting a new thing with no fasting. But he doesn't, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say we don't fast anymore. Listen to what he says. Jesus replied, verse 19, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them. And then then they will fast. He's talking about while he's here on earth, walking around with his disciples, it wasn't appropriate for them to take time to fast, although Jesus himself took time to fast and pray. But when he returned to heaven, when he's no longer with them in bodily form, then it would be appropriate for his followers to fast. And we're living in that time, which means now it is appropriate to take time to fast and pray. I don't think I gave them these verses to put on the screen, but let me read the next couple of verses. It says, besides... Who would patch old clothing with new cloth for the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before? And no one puts new wine into old wineskins for the wine would burst the wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. We'll circle back to that in just a couple of minutes. But last week, Pastor Josiah started us on this series talking about fasting and prayer, and he did an outstanding job, man. Last week, that message was incredible, super, super good, and he, he started off talking about Luke chapter 4, where Jesus went into the wilderness after he was baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove, and then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He took 40 days to fast and pray to start his ministry, and it says at the end of those 40 days, he was hungry. Pastor Josiah used that as a springboard into talking about how Bible fasting is not eating food. That's why it says at the end of 40 days, he was, he was hungry because he hadn't been, he was fasting, which meant he wasn't eating. It didn't say, hey, at the end of his 40 days of fasting, he was super anxious to get back on social media and see how many likes and what, you know, what all's going on in, in that world. It didn't say that he was really antsy to get back to video games or watching movies. No, because Bible fasting is not eating not eating food. And that's important for us to understand. And if you've been here while we've taken time to fast and pray before, then you've heard us share this before, but it's important. Fasting yourself, fasting food is denying yourself at a, a foundational level. When you're denying your flesh, obviously there's lots of ways you can deny yourself, but when you say, I'm going to not eat food, instead I'm not gonna watch movies or I'm not gonna do this or that, you're denying yourself in a different way. It's the deepest level, it's the core level, it's the strongest, the strongest appetite that the flesh has is its appetite for food. So before, before you want to achieve uh, having influence and power and success, before you want material things, and money and cars before you want any kind of have any kind of sexual appetite long before any of those appetites emerge the first appetite that you have is the appetite for food and so when you deny yourself at that level you're you're denying yourself in a different way that's why people will come up with substitutes and hey instead of food I'm going to fast this hey instead of food what we do is is we, we just don't watch any tv for for a, a few days well there's a reason that people do that because fasting is hard you are denying yourself in a 
in a deeper, more severe way. You're telling your flesh no at the base level. And when you learn how to do that, one of the benefits is you've trained yourself so when other temptations come, temptation to be dishonest with finances, temptation to, to operate in pride or selfish ambition, sexual temptation, you've already, you've already put your flesh under as low as it can possibly go, and you've come out stronger and more able to walk in the spirit instead of walking according, according to the flesh. It's important that we understand that, and that's, that's Bible. Fasting is not eating, not eating food. Now, I want to encourage you that as we go through this time of fasting and prayer, don't waste these 21 days just wishing that they were over. Don't spend these 21 days just longing for day 21 when you can finally eat again or just totally be obsessed with 6 o'clock every day if you're doing 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Don't, don't spend your time just fantasizing about, about food. One, because you're going to make it harder on yourself. You're, just, you're torturing yourself just to look at pictures of food. You're, you know, you're fasting and you're just with a tear in your eye flipping through your favorite cookbook, looking up videos of people making casseroles and you know, whatever else. And you're just, you're just longing that whole time. You're making it harder for yourself, but maybe more importantly is you're missing the point. Fasting isn't so that your, your love affair with food can rise to the surface and it's just, man, 21 days, all, you, all I've been thinking about food. Man, you've been on my mind this whole time. You're missing the point. Why become obsessed with the very thing that you're choosing to deny yourself? You're denying yourself food, not so you can have your mind on food, so that your mind can be on other things. You're devoting that time to draw near to the Lord, and so that's where your focus needs to be. And so if you've been watching you know, cooking videos and baking shows and all that, I'm not saying that to condemn you. I used to do the same thing, but I feel like I've gained some insight in this area to, to have a better experience while you're fasting. This isn't a perfect analogy, but hopefully it gets the point across. When Beth and I got married, we took, we took a honeymoon, like many of you did. And on our honeymoon, we, we didn't stay in town. We got out of town. In fact, we got out of state. We got on a plane. We went far away. And on that honeymoon, we didn't take any of our friends with us. We didn't take any of our siblings with us. Mom, you didn't, you didn't come on my honeymoon. Thank God. My, my wife's parents didn't come on, didn't come on our honeymoon, right? Because the, the point is, we're, there's nothing wrong with loving your friends and family and siblings, parents, all that. You should. But the point is to push those things aside. During the honeymoon, that, that time was about me and my wife. It's a time of just enjoying one another and drawing close to one another and, and building relationship and those kinds of things. Now, what if on my honeymoon, the whole time, my wife would have been getting pictures out of her bag of her mom and dad and just setting them up and just, just every time I find her, she's just longingly looking, running her finger down the, the picture frame of mom and dad. She's got a little chart marking off the days. Only four more days until I get to see mom mom and dad. She's pulling up old videos and just watching them do yard work and just gazing at her, at her mom and dad. She would have been missing the whole point of what we were there to, if we were, what we were there to do. If she loves them that much, and that's what, then just go ahead and be with your mom and dad because we're not getting out of this experience what we should be getting out of this experience, right? Some people approach fasting the same way. You're not getting out of it what you should get out of it because you're, you're just you know writing little sticky notes and I love you to food the whole time. It's time to give your devotion and your attention to the Lord. So I'm not saying that to be mean. It'll, it'll help you, one, because you're making... You're, you're making it hard on yourself. I'm not trying to condemn you if you've been doing that. 
I'm trying to help you have a more fruitful and enjoyable fast. This is time to indulge in the Lord like, like never before. And that's how we've got to engage it. Because not every fast is the same. You can fast and come out of it with no spiritual benefits. Just not eating food doesn't mean that all, all of a sudden you're spiritually lurching forward. It just lays the groundwork for other significant things to happen. But if that's all it is, you're just starving yourself really for no point. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, we, we just mentioned before, as he's teaching about fasting, he points out the Pharisees and he said, now make sure you guys don't fast like they fast. Why? Because they, they were fasting. They weren't eating food, but they were missing the whole point. They weren't getting out of it what they should get out of it. In, in Isaiah 58, there's something similar that God uses Isaiah to talk about. This is the kind of fast that, that, that I have chosen, which means not just any fast is going to fly. So a fast when you are obsessing over, you know, whatever food dish is on your mind and heart. Now, naturally, you're going to think about it. You're going to have some... Uh, dreams about food and those kinds of things. Again, I'm not trying to, to, to put a heavy burden on anyone, but as much as you can, don't, don't focus on, on food and recipes and pictures. You with me? Are you, some of you looking at food on your phones right now? What in the world's going on here? So Pastor Josiah talked about fasting being about denying yourself food and in Luke chapter four, he talked about how Jesus returned, returned from that fast. He returned from that fast in the power of the Holy Spirit, which was different than how he went into it. There's no mention of Jesus being in the power of the Holy Spirit before that. The Holy Spirit descended on him, led him into the wilderness, but he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he talked about how fasting is a time that even though your body might be weakening in some aspects, Spiritually, it's a time of vitality and being energized and finding fresh zeal and fresh passion, which is important that we be energized and we have an enthusiasm for the things, for the things of God. He read from Romans chapter 12 that gives us that very instruction to never, never be lacking in zeal. And one of the ways we can make sure that happens is to establish, man, my spirit man takes priority. Now, I'm starting this year off. I'm carving out time all throughout the year that I'm going to step. My spirit man is, is, you are a spirit. And I'm not going to cave to every little desire that this meat suit has that I'm wearing around for a few years because I'm preparing for eternity and we're supposed to walk according to eternal things. And so we've got to learn how to put the flesh under and say, Lord, I love Love you more than I love anything else, more than I love soup, more than I love bread, more than I love meat. I want your will. I want your way. I love your presence more than anything else. And we're establishing that. And as you take time to do that, it strengthens your spirit, man. It strengthens you. He, he used an, an analogy, which was a great analogy about people playing basketball. If you go and watch some people play basketball and you can tell that the guys on one team have zero energy, they're lethargic. There's no enthusiasm. They're just kind of uh, shuffling around, moping around out there. Well, not only are they going to lose the game, they're going to embarrass themselves in, in the process. It doesn't matter how talented those basketball players are. It doesn't matter what skills that they've developed. If there's no energy, if there's no enthusiasm, if they're, they're not bringing any zeal to the game, it's that energy and zeal that actually makes the gifts usable and the skills usable that they have. And there is a, a parallel to us in our spiritual lives. It doesn't matter how gifted you are, and you are gifted. It doesn't matter how talented you are, and you are talented. It doesn't 
doesn't matter what God has put inside of you to be a blessing to the body of Christ. And he has put things on the inside of you to make you a blessing to the people around you. If there's no passion or zeal or energy, then those gifts will lie dormant all of your life. And fasting helps those things rise to the surface and it stirs up our spirit, man, that that becomes our focus and our emphasis. And that's, that's what we need to do. He used the example of a church service like this, that you can tell a huge difference in, in services that you're in. And one of the things that makes an enormous difference is the level of energy and enthusiasm that people bring into the service with them. If you've got people that are genuinely, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. That makes a huge difference. Instead of just relying on whoever has the microphone, whoever's leading, leading the songs, they play a very important role. And so I'm not trying to diminish that, but you can't diminish the role that you play in a service. It makes all the difference in the world. If people are just lazy going through worship, what they're doing is they're walking according to the flesh. Because Jesus said the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. He, He said that in context of going to find his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed, sleeping. And he said, you guys couldn't, you couldn't pray with me for an hour. You couldn't seek the Lord alongside of me for one hour. And then he told them what the problem was or identified the problem. He said, the spirit is willing. The spirit is willing. Your spirit is willing. Your spirit wants to take time to worship the Lord. Your spirit wants to lift your voice, honor God, give him the praise that he is due. Your spirit wants to feed on the word of God. Your spirit wants to indulge and spend time in the presence of God. But what happens to us is just what happened to the disciples. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is a weakness that keeps us from engaging in the things that are available. So even though your spirit is willing, if you're walking in the flesh, you know what? He's leading this song, but I don't even like this song. It's not in my range. I don't like the words. You know what? I don't feel like raising my hands. I feel like putting my hands in my pocket. Actually, I feel like sitting down right now. That's what I feel like. That's the flesh. Instead, when we go to the word, instead of being enthusiastic, man, Lord, feed me. Holy Spirit, you're my teacher. Let's see what I can get out of this. Leaning in, fully engaged, bringing some energy, engaged in the moment, engaged in the service of people just scrolling on their phone. I mean, your flesh just wants to wait until you get out of here, get on to the next thing, get to the buffet or whatever it happens to be. But I would love to start this year with setting a new tone, a new level, a new culture in our church, one of full engagement, one of energy and anticipation, where people People are fully engaged and we're not just going through the motions because that's an environment. If, if it works in a, a situation of a basketball player being able to reach their full potential, how much more so should the people of God be enthusiastic in the house of God so that he can have his way? There is an enormous difference in a service. He talked about it last week and we experience it a lot of times on Sunday mornings. Same message, same worship. One, one service is a huge step up or a huge step down from the, from the other. You can tell an enormous difference. The, the difference is the people that are in the room and the level of excitement, anticipation, energy, spiritual energy that they bring, they bring to the room. So I want to challenge you to stir yourself up. And I would love for some people to help lead this. And I'm not talking about a title. I'm just talking about being an example of being fully engaged, that we would set that as the culture of our church, that we don't have dead services. We don't have lethargic services where even though the Lord wants to move, do something, your spirit wants, wants something to happen, but your flesh is such a weight, that it's like an anchor on, on the service, that if we could just make that a pack, a commitment amongst one another, we're going to have people that are, I'm glad when I said, let's go into the house of the Lord. Not I'm shuffling into the house of the Lord, acting like I'd rather be any other place on the, on the planet. Amen. Amen. So 
So the beginning of the year is a great time, a great time to fast and pray. We've talked about, because it's giving God the first, the first of the year, Lord, because when the first part's dedicated to God, the entire thing carries his blessing. But it's also a great time to fast and pray because this time of year lends itself very naturally to evaluating your life and making priorities, reestablishing priorities, trying to decide what, what is next? What comes next in my life? Where, where do I go from here? In the natural, people do it all the time. Again, just because this time of year lends itself to that, that people will evaluate, you know what? I'm going to eat less food next year. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose a few pounds. I'm going to start exercising more this year. You know what? This year, as I kind of think back over, over the last year, I'm going to spend more time with my kids. You know, this is the year where I'm going to be better with my money. I'm going to get out of debt. This is the year that I finally, you can fill in the blank. People evaluate, prioritize, try to figure out where, where does my life go from here? And, and so we take this time of year coupled with that natural uh, uh, looking for direction, that natural it, what, where do I go from here? What is the next step? Time of, of making those kinds of decisions and couple it with fasting, fasting and prayer. You've created an incredible, incredible environment to make sure that you are walking in step with the Lord all year through because one of the benefits of fasting is to receive guidance and direction from the Lord. I'll give you an example of that and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 20. A lot of you know the story. King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, is about to come under attack by a, several different armies. They, they don't stand a chance. And so that's kind of where we're picking up the story. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1, it says, After this, the armies of the Moabites, Amorites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Eden is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. This was another name for En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So the people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord for help. So they all gather together. They've declared a corporate time of fasting, of fasting and prayer. Jehoshaphat starts to lead them in prayer. And this is the last verse of his prayer, verse 12. It says, oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. So they were in a situation where they didn't know what in the world to do, where to go from here. There's lots of different options. Should he go out and fight them? Should he retreat? Should he try to make some kind of arrangement with them? Should he enlist a, another country to come and try to, to be their aid? He didn't know what to do. And so he understood that when you don't know what to do, fasting and prayer is a way to receive guidance, a way of inviting the voice of God to speak into your, your life and give you direction. And if you know the rest of the story, God begins to speak and he tells them exactly what to do. When you go out to meet them, put the worshipers out front. By the time they got there, it says, if you read that chapter, as soon as they started to praise the Lord, those armies started to turn on one another and they killed one another. So by the time that the children of God got onto the battlefield, all it was was bodies and they spent three days picking up the spoils. Now, how did they, how did they receive the direction to come to those kinds of results? Because they took time to fast and pray. And there's tons we could pull out of that story. What I want to highlight is that fasting and prayer 
prayer is a time when you're making decisions to invite the voice of God to give you guidance and understanding when you're in need for it. And it makes sense when you're at a time of evaluating, how is this year going to go? Where you end up at the end of 2023 is going to be largely dictated by how you began 2023. It would just, just setting off like you did last year, you're going to end up with the same kind of results you did last year. But to say, Lord, this year belongs to you. Come and speak to me. I'm pushing out distractions. I'm tuning my ear, tuning my heart to the voice of your Holy Spirit. Man, you are setting yourself up for success. Another example is in Acts chapter 13. We won't take time to read it. Most of you know the story. Paul and several other men who are a part of the company of teachers and prophets dedicated themselves to worship the Lord, a time of fasting. And it was in that environment that God spoke and, and gave Paul the next steps for what the rest of his life was supposed to look like. Where, where do I go from here? What am I supposed to do? You read, you read the rest of the life of Paul and the fruit that he bore, the things that he did, how he spent the rest of his life came out of a time where he was fasting and praying and God gave him, gave him direction. You've got lots of options, things that you can chase, things that you could pursue. Where should you put your energy? Where should you put your focus? Well, listen, those things might not all be equal. There might be one specific area where God, really, this is the year for you to focus on this, but you won't know unless you take time to hear what the Lord says. This is a time of evaluation, evaluating and getting direction, setting priorities for, for the next year. And you know, God, God wants to direct your steps. God wants to guide you and direct you. He doesn't want you stumbling through life, flipping a coin when you make decisions, just shrugging your shoulders and saying, here goes nothing, hope this works. He, he doesn't want that for his people. He wants you to walk in light. Uh, let me read to you from Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. You know, there's not one area of your life that God's, nah, the situation with your kids, you're on your own there. I only deal with, he, he delights in every, every detail of your life. He wants to direct your steps. Let me read it to you in the New King James. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights, he delights in his way. That God, God wants to direct your steps, the steps of a good man, a good woman, a righteous man, a righteous woman. God wants to be involved. He wants to bring order. That word, he, he orders the steps. It, it can mean command, but it can also mean to guide, to arrange, to prioritize. That God can help you know, that here, here's what I need to do first this year, and here's what I need to do second. It, it, it is commanding in a sense of God speaking into your situation and speaking over your steps, but he can also give wisdom and guide you. He orders the steps. No, 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 you shouldn't be doing that yet. Not, not until you've taken care of this. Do this and then that, and he, he's going to lead you and guide you in the way, in the way that you should go. So one of, one of the benefits of drawing near to the Lord at a time of fasting and prayer is hearing him speak and give you guidance and direction. It's a time of evaluation. What priority will the Lord have in your life in 2023? What priority will God have in your family, in your business, with your finances, in your household? How is that going to look as you move through this year? What, you've got to make a decision. What will the priority of God, the things of God, what place will the kingdom of God have in my life as I go, as I go throughout this year? And not just be one of the many things that I'm involved in, but will it be I'm seeking God's kingdom first? Or we'll just kind of fall into a list of other things. Uh, you know, I love going to the lake on, on the weekends and, you know, I'm involved in sports and I got these hobbies and, you, and you know, church is good too. I, I want to be involved in that. Or 
or will you really seek God's kingdom first? And so I want to challenge us as a family and as individuals this morning. We talked a little bit about it Wednesday night, if you were here, to make a decision, to make a decision today. This year, as I go through 2023, I am going to make unusual spiritual progress. I'm, I'm going to press into the things of God. I'm going to feed on the word of God like never before. My, my time in prayer is going to be vibrant and alive. I'm, I'm going to fall more in love with the Lord. I will make unusual spiritual progress this year. It's one thing for me to decide that. It's another thing for you to decide that for you. Go ahead and say it if you mean it. I will make unusual spiritual progress this year. I will make unusual spiritual, spiritual progress. And that there are times where God calls his people to make decisions. Even people that have already made a decision to follow him, there'll be times where he calls them again, hey, I want you to decide who you're serving, where your priorities are. A lot of times before they step into something new, sometimes just because there's a tendency to wander off in our affections and our, and our devotions. I want to look at a couple of them. One in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Starting in verse 19. So when you're, when you're making decisions, it's wise to take time to fast and pray and get the heart of God. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, it says, this is Moses speaking, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him. For he is your life. For he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. So things are about to transition. He's about to hand things over to Joshua. They're about to cross the Jordan. This is the end of Moses' life and ministry. And he calls them to a decision. Hey, who are you going to serve? I want you to serve the Lord, but you've got to make that decision. Now, these are the Israelites. These are the people of God. These are the ones that saw the plagues. They went through the Red Sea. They've seen God provide in the wilderness. They would identify them. We, we are the children of God. We are God's people. But even so, he's, he's asking, okay, who's, who's still all, on, who's all in on serving, on serving God? Joshua did something similar. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, it says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord, Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your forefathers, which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He was calling them to a, a decision. Things were about to change. In fact, Joshua was dead by the end of the chapter that we just read from. He'd taken them into the promised land. These are the, these are the people that marched around Jericho. They're the ones that went in and staked a claim on the promised land. The first people to inhabit, the children of God inhabiting the promised land after they came out 
of Egypt. So again, these are the people of God, but he's calling them to a decision for where maybe hearts have wandered off, people have gotten lukewarm as they're getting ready to step into something fresh and new. It was time to make a decision. Hey, hey, who all is still on board here? You need, as for me and my house, I'm all in on the things of God. And I just want to know, is there anybody still as in love with the Lord as I am before, before we move any deeper into his plans for us? Let, let's look at another example. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18. First Kings 18, we'll start reading in verse 17. Again, another story that's probably familiar to most of you. Elijah is the prophet, the man of God who's alive. Ahab is the king of Israel. He's, he's a, a bad king. He's wicked. Jezebel is his, his wife. And Elijah has just made himself available or presented himself to King Ahab because he'd kind of been in hiding up until this point. Verse 17 says, when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. You, you know the rest of the story. He challenges, challenges Baal, that the prophets of Baal could call on their God and see if he would answer by fire. And then he was going to call on the name of the Lord and see if he would answer by fire. And whatever God answered by fire, by fire would be acknowledged is the true, the true living God. The prophets of Baal go first. They cry out for hours. They cut themselves. They sing. They dance. They go through all kinds of commotion and nothing happens. And then Elijah builds an altar soaks it with water, has them pour, pour water over and over on the sacrifice, digs a trench around it, all of that, says a simple prayer, and fire falls and burns up the sacrifice, burns up the altar, burns up the, the water and everything. Just a, an amazing story of, of God revealing himself. But what I want to focus on is verse 21. Let me read it again. It says, when Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between Two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow, follow him. If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. He was calling, calling, again, the Israelites, the people of God, who would have identified themselves. Yeah, we serve the Lord. Yeah, we serve Yahweh. Of course we serve Jehovah. We're, we're Israelites. We're children of, of God. They would have identified themselves, but he's doing something similar to what, what Joshua did, something similar to what Moses did. He's asking them, okay, who all, is all in, completely devoted to serving, to serving the Lord? Because there is a tendency in people to, to allow their loyalty to become divided. These people were trying to mix serving Baal along with serving God. Yeah, of course we serve Yahweh. Of course we serve the God of the Bible. 
but there's some perks to serving Baal too. So why, why not have the, the best of both worlds? We can dabble in this. We can have a, a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And so he was calling them to a decision that you've got you've to choose one or the other. And he wasn't just making the decision for them. He was calling before the decision for first for them to evaluate, for them to evaluate the situation. If Baal is God, then by all means, serve him. But if the Lord, if he is God, then serve him. You've got to evaluate the situation. If Baal is the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt, if Baal is the one that parted the Red Sea so you could walk through on dry ground, if Baal is the one that led you through the wilderness and cared for you and gave you food and water, led you by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, if Baal is the one that spoke the earth into existence, who gave you the promised land, if, if he is God, then absolutely you should serve him and just be done with all this, all this other nonsense of Yahweh and serving the Lord God. But, but if, if Baal is not God, if the Lord is God, if he's the one that spoke the earth into existence, if he's the one that created you, rescued you, cares for you, if he really is the almighty God, then why would you serve him with anything less than your entire heart and your entire being? And we would be foolish to think that we don't have the same kind of tendencies that the people of God had back then. That even though we would say, of course, I've, I've already made a decision. I am a child of God. I'm a son of God, a daughter of God. That's wonderful. But but to think that we don't have a tendency to allow our loyalty and our love to become divided, we would be foolish. To think that we don't need to sometimes just re-up and refocus and reevaluate. What is my service to the Lord like? Am I really dedicating my entire life to serving him and loving him? Or have I, I allowed certain things to capture my heart in ways that they shouldn't capture my heart? It's easy to allow it to happen. It happens so easily, so effortlessly that you find your devotion is divided. You, you found there's some perks to running after different things other than just running after the Lord. You know, anything that you are devoted to, even close to as much as you're devoted to the Lord, is an idol. Anything, even, even things that are good, even things that are wonderful. That if, if, if I love my wife the same level I love the Lord, she's an idol, I'm, I'm, I'm sinning. Should I love my wife? Yes. But she's got to take a, a far lower position than the Lord. It can be all kinds of things, career, finances, hobbies, different things that in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad, but they can become an idol in our lives. Your children, as much as it's good to love your children, you know what, they, they shouldn't even come close to how much you love God and his kingdom and that that is your first, your first pursuit. And if you don't think God wants you to love him way more than you love your children, read the story of Abraham. And when Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, you know that, that because of that, God blessed his son? Because, because Abraham's heart was first and foremost devoted to God, that actually was a blessing to Isaac. It didn't hurt Isaac. It set him up to, to live a blessed, a blessed life as well. Jesus taught about the same thing, that in comparison, it should look like I hate my children and my wife because of how much I love I love the Lord. Now, of course, God wants you to love your family and all that. You understand that. But our, our love for him has to far exceed any of those other passions and desires that we love the one who gave them to us in the first place more than we love what he gave to us. So some people allow their priorities to get all mixed up and their heart has become divided in its allegiance. Some people will allow the pleasures of sin to pull them off track. They have, yeah, of course, I mean, I go to the church. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I still look at pornography and I still allow myself to have sexual relationships with people out, outside of, of marriage or people that I'm not, not married to. 
or any kind of sin that you begin to make allowance for, maybe anger, pride, greed, jealousy, any, any one of those things that begins to pull our heart away and we become compromised and we're not fully devoted to the Lord like we're supposed to be devoted. And I'm calling for us as individuals and a church family to make a decision like these other men called for groups of people to make a decision that we're going to love the Lord with all of our heart and serve him. Make unusual spiritual progress that this year the kingdom of God comes number one and it's not even, it's not even close. But that decision, just like, just like I, uh, Elijah said, it should come on the basis of, of evaluation, to evaluate your life, the things that maybe have pulled you off track, the things that maybe try to tangle you up from time to time, just to evaluate if those things, if those, those hobbies, those activities, those sinful pleasures, if those things have the ability to really satisfy you, if those things have the ability to save you, if those things have the ability to forgive you of your sin, to keep you from going to hell, if those things will love you and guide you and be a source of life and hopes, hope and peace and joy, if those things are God, then by all means, forget this Jesus stuff. What are you even doing here? If that's really where it's at, then go in, be in all the way on whatever that happens to be. But if those things in the end won't satisfy you, won't get you to heaven, will leave you empty and on the outside of the kingdom of God, then, then, then why would you spend any time serving them if those things aren't God, if, if the Lord is God, if this book really means what it says, if this stuff is a reality, then why would we serve God with anything less than 100% of our heart and our devotion? Then we've, got, we've got to make a decision. If those things are God, then serve them. Serve them with all your heart and enjoy it. And there's no sense in you coming here if those things are God. But if they're not, if Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the light, if no man comes to the Father but through him, if God loved you so much that he gave his only son to rescue you so he could have relationship with you forever and ever, then, then why would you allow anything else to pull you off. This is a time of evaluation, a time of getting perspective and seeing things clearly and say, whoa, 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 I need to rearrange some things. Man, I'm not loving the Lord and pursuing him like I ought to be loving him and pursuing him. And th this isn't just Old Testament stuff. There's warnings in the New Testament as well. I'll, I'll read a couple of them, read a couple of them to you. James chapter four. James chapter four, verse four, it says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an, anima, an enemy of God? Doesn't make you an enema, praise the Lord. <laughs> I don't even want to look up. Let's just take that one from the top. You, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world slowing down here, makes you an enemy of God. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That is a stern warning to call people who I identified would have identified themselves as the church of Jesus Christ, to call them adulterers and say, if you make yourself a friend of the world, realize that in the process, you have made yourself an enemy of God. Second Timothy chapter two, verse four, it says, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. People that are serious about serving the one. If we want to be children of God, the army of God, soldiers, soldiers carrying out the directions of the Lord, 
then we can't entangle ourselves with all kinds of nonsense in this life. If we do, it'll compromise our ability to really please the one who we're claiming to serve in the first place. In Mark chapter 2 that we referred to, we read, read it first thing, where Jesus is questioned about fasting. He's questioned about fasting, and that's where he says, you don't fast when the bridegroom's there, the wedding feast, but you will fast when he's gone. And then immediately goes into talking about putting new cloth on an old garment. And you don't take new wine and put it into an old wineskin. Because in both situations, it's, it's destructive if you do those kinds of things. Now, I understand that he's talking about the new covenant and the new age that he is ushering in. But he's talking about fasting. And one of the things that we can learn from that is that timing is important. Asked about fasting. Yep, you guys should fast. And then he starts talking about, again, I understand the, the, the new covenant implications. But timing matters. Timing matters. There's a, there's a time at a wedding feast, the way you behave there, that maybe you don't behave other times. There's a time when that patch was perfectly good. There's, there's a time that it can be used. There, there's a time for that old wine skin. There's a time for new wine. But if you, if you get the timing wrong and you start me messing up the timing, it becomes destructive. And one of the things that fasting does is it helps us to keep in step with the things of God, to keep our timing right, to stay tuned to the spirit of God and how he's leading. What does he want to do this year? It might not be the same in your life as last year. What is he saying today? What does he want to do right now? Again, in each of those, those situations we referred to with Joshua and Moses, something new was about to happen. Things were about to change dramatically. They, Joshua was about to die. Now they're going to enter into the time of the judges. They, they've, they've taken the land. Now it's time to occupy with Moses. He was about to, to turn them loose. He wasn't going to enter into the promised land. They were both were on the brink of significant change, and he called them to a decision. What are things going to look like in your life next year? Are you really devoted? It's time to make a decision. Am I really devoted to the Lord? Or is my passion really just about the way that things used to be? You know, I, I love the Lord as long as it's like, the, you know, the touch I got in the 80s. You know, I love the Lord, but man, you know, I, what I really love is what he did, what he was doing, the way he was moving in the 90s. And that's great. But we, we can fall out of timing with the Lord. And fasting, fasting helps draw us into lockstep with, with the Lord. So whatever he's doing next, which might not be what he did last time, might, might not be what, what you expect experience before. When he starts leading us into something new, we're not on the outside looking in, but we've, we've taken time to sync up our steps with the Lord. Fasting, fasting does that. And I, I, want, I want to take some time this morning, like I said earlier, to challenge you, to challenge you to make unusual spiritual progress, to make a commitment to the Lord. God, this year belongs to you. I'm a living sacrifice. I'm a living sacrifice. I'm not holding anything back. Because God has great things for you. He has great things for our church family. But it requires something of, of us. I want to read a couple of passages and then we'll pray. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. He says, give yourself entirely. Give yourself wholly. It can be translated as be immersed. One's translation says, be absorbed. Go all in. 
Timothy, go all, don't mess around on the periphery. Go all in on these things. And what is the result? Man, your, your progress is going to be obvious. And you, you are going to move forward. You're going to take ground. You're going to bear more fruit. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I'm just giving you a couple of examples, but you know that there's, there's lots more we could talk about. That God doesn't want just part of your life, part of your devotion. He wants the whole thing. Proverbs chapter three, trust in the Lord with all, all of your heart, all of your heart. Not trust in the Lord with 75%. God, God wants to move in you and through you and in us and through us. But the price for all that God has for us is the price all you have for him. The price for all of God is all of you. And so I want to take time, again, as individuals and as a church family, right at the start of this year, everything, God, you have everything, no holding back. Lord, I will make unusual spiritual progress because I'm going all in. Anywhere, I'm taking time to evaluate this morning. Speak to my heart, Lord. Show me where my loyalty has been divided. Show me where I'm holding back. Show me where I've got one foot here and I'm kind of holding on to some sin back in this area. Purify my heart. I want to be a living sacrifice, holy, holy. Lord, I'm holy to you, set apart for you. That's what holy means. I'm set apart for you and for your purposes, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.